0: Episode two thirty of Late Night Linux, recorded on the fifteenth of May, twenty twenty-three. I'm Joe, and with me are Fading. How's it going, Graham? Good evening, and Will. Hello. Let's get straight on with our discoveries. Will,
1: what is Gping? Gping came to me via Richard, who sent us an email with some newbie tools in it. Uh, I think we're going to cover those at a later date, but one of the links he sent was to a list of other tools, and one of those other tools was gping. And gping is a Rust tool, command line tool, that lets you ping multiple hosts at the same time, which is useful so far, but it draws a graph in the terminal. And it's really easy to use. You can ping multiple hosts just by gping and then just host after host after host after host. And it will just sit there graphing them away forevermore. Which in itself is useful. But then there's more. It will also allow you to ping the execution time of a script. So if you pass the dash dash CMD flag in and then pass a command in, it will run that repeatedly and it will graph the results of that tool on a ping graph, you know, on a you know, simple line graph, which is also very useful. And then there's even more in that it has built in some hosts on aws's various regions and so you can also use it to ping a specific aws region which in my day-to-day work is also very useful so really simple tool really nice to look at it serves a multitude of purposes and um, really great example of a small linux tool Now, if I was trying to cut a tomato after all this, would it still cut through that
2: tomato? Because it sounds like it would. It would dice, it would slice, it would grate, (laughs) it would grind.
0: (laughs) Shut up and take my money. (laughs) It is a very good-looking CLI application.
1: Yeah, I I don't really understand how you draw graphs using bits of font and stuff, but it works, and it, it looks good. And when you resize the terminal, it works quite reliably as well, which is always a problem with lesser good applications so yeah it passes my test how do you install it though there's a deb for it you can install a, a deb repo somebody who's got a, a ppa equivalent of up i think it's actually a debian repo but you can add the repo and then you can just apt get install it it's quite funny that the installation instructions start with
0: homebrew and mac ports oh. and the screen recording is also from a mac And the
2: Linux one is also homebrew. Oh, oh, I I liked it, but now I
1: don't. (laughs) I thought you might say that.
0: Oh, but it is packaged in quite a few different places by the looks of things.
1: Yeah, there's an Arch package and there's a Gen 2 package. There's a Fedora package. There's Windows packages, CentOS packages. Yeah, and they're all
0: important through BSD port as well. (laughs) Oh, thank
1: God. All five of them. So you can run it on your PlayStation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, very handy. Failing
2: him, Chiaki, Chiaki. You're looking at the wrong person. There appears to be an anime character in it. Is, is that a known anime character? I have no idea. The only anime character I know is Mitsaku or whatever her name was with that daft pedal on uh, the Anderson's YouTube channel. So uh, I really have no clue.
0: Given that you can't say anime properly, I don't think you're going to be able to uh, <laughs> pronounce the name. Shut up. I don't care. You can all stick to your weird cartoons as much as you want. <laughs> so what is it anyway?
2: Well, I have talked about the Roblox thing getting blocked before. So the alternate one that's very popular in this household is Rec Room, but Rec Room is very much a outside of Steam, not going to even at all be attempted. It, well, okay, it's in Steam. But the anti-cheat is just not working at all, and it never has. And apparently it used to work about three, four years ago, judging by ProtonDB. It's a very handy website for checking if things are compatible. The second that they put Easy Anti-Cheat on, they didn't tick the allow Proton or Linux box, and it has not worked since. So I thought it's really annoying that there's no sort of like Steam casting method or whatever you want to call it, or streaming or whatever from... A device in your house that already plays it. And I thought, well, unless there isn't one for a PlayStation, or maybe there is, and I didn't know about it. And well, that's exactly what this is. This allows you to remotely talk and hook up to your remote play capability on your PlayStation 4 or 5, stream it across the LAN. Apparently, you can do other stuff too across uh, the internet, maybe. I don't know. It, dep- it depends on your bandwidth, but across the LAN. And then you can play your games and control your PlayStation remotely. And I thought this sounds far too good to be true. and I bet it doesn't work, but it, it very much did. Setting it up was dead easy. You have to get an account ID, which they have a Python script that you run to get that. It, it just asks you a couple of questions. I think it's like your login name. I did it about five days ago and I've already forgotten it was so easy. But it's really well done. Then in your PlayStation, you say allow remote play and you put in a token or a key or something, I can't remember, and the two of them link together, and you're away. And even if the PlayStation is, you know, powered into power save mode, it appears as a little icon in your window, and you say, okay, do you want to start it up? You double-click it. It boots it remotely with a wake-up packet. You can then log in. You see your PlayStation in a window. You can do it full screen, no problem, and uh, it plays perfectly. The only... Only thing that's really annoying is it doesn't seem to work with microphone, which is annoying, especially for Rec Room, which is kind of half the thing about Rec Room is chatting with pals. So I don't think it's implemented, but I'm going to see if I can probe around and see if the guys got any work done on it, or maybe it's a misconfiguration. I don't know. But the funny thing was... We were talking about the Nintendo stuff being a right pain the last time. There is a Chiaki for Deck, which works
3: on a Steam Deck. So Graeme can now play his PlayStation, if he has one, on a Steam Deck, remotely. I do have one, and I have used this before. Um, I set it up for my daughter to play Fortnite from her laptop, Fortnite running on the PlayStation. I don't use the PlayStation that much anymore because I just didn't want to keep up the subscription. But Fortnite runs on the PlayStation without one, so it works really well.
0: Sweet. You've also got an image-stabilised Apollo 15 link.
2: I love spaceflight, especially Apollo-era stuff. I don't know, there's something nostalgic about it, even though I wasn't even born yet, but there's something about it where people who uh, don't believe in it need to have a fight out in the car park, I'll take you all on, and uh, all the other people can really enjoy this because it is amazing to watch where they've taken the image, the shaky footage, you know, and I don't know, it was probably an eight millimeter film. I don't know. And they've stabilized it and it looks amazing. It actually looks like a landing. It looks very surreal because it's a lower frame rate. You can kind of see the jerkiness of shots, but it actually looks fantastic coming down and you really feel like you're actually landing on the moon for the first time, not just a like the old footage kind of looks like somebody like shoved film into a washing machine and you watched it and it it just it it just doesn't bring up that whole yeah this is actually a science project that we're going somewhere It, it looked far too sort of basic whereas this kind of brings it home. It's like, this is a proper landing. And it, it reminds me of that thing that we had before the Apollo 11 website that had the whole, like all the different teams linked together on a web page and synchronized and stuff like that. So yeah, it's really enjoyable. It's only three and a half minutes. Really, really
0: good. Give it a look. If you look really, really carefully, you can just about see Stanley
1: Kubrick sitting in his chair. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> fight anybody. All takers. Come on. I watched it a couple of times and it felt quite slow to me, like just watching it come drifting down, kind of rocking backwards and forwards slightly. It did feel like it was almost hanging in space and it just seems to take (laughs) such a long time to to reach the ground. It was um, surprising. How well could any of us handle all those
2: fuel call-outs where you're thinking... Yeah, see, if, uh, if this gets mm. too low, we're fucked. And, uh, it's like 9%, 9%. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, no issue here
3: at all. <laughs> it's, uh, it's weird. On a slightly related note, there's, um, a game called Apollo 11 VR that you can play in VR that is like a one to one recreation of the Apollo 11 moon landings. Mm. And you can go in the lunar module and kind of, from takeoff to landing with all the original recordings and it's it's windows but it runs on proton i've got it running on steam vr and linux and if if you're over over at my house failure i'll have to show it to you so i'm booking flights right now (laughs) i should be there in about three hours i'd say it's one of the best vr things you know it really shows it at its strength oh that's so cool
0: and you've got yet another book to buy and put on your shelf and never read
3: yeah, I mean,
2: this one's more of a digital version, but yeah, I, I do like collecting PDFs. I, r- I really do. I have a severe problem, but um, if anybody wants to write a curl module, there's a really good book for it, and it looks really nice, having a clue what's going on in it
0: mostly, but it's a really well put together piece of documentation.: Okay, some listeners of Late Night Linux already use Truenas, and this episode is sponsored by IX Systems. In case you didn't know, iX Systems is the company behind FreeNAS and TrueNAS and has chosen Linux for their latest open storage distro, TrueNAS Scale. TrueNAS was originally built on FreeBSD, providing unified storage for millions of users from the enterprise to the home. TrueNAS Scale is Debian-based and combines the legendary data management, protection and scalability of OpenZFS with the power of Kubernetes apps and KVM for virtualization. TrueNAS Scale is open source and completely free to use. And when you're ready for a mission-critical business solution with 24-7 support that won't lock you in with overpriced licensing, IX is ready to help with TrueNAS Enterprise. To learn more about TrueNAS and download it for free, visit TrueNAS.com LNL. That's T-R-U-E-N-A-S dot com L-N-L. Graham, what is Nosy Parker?
3: So Nosy Parker is a tool that will search for secrets in text files. Those secrets could be passwords, API keys, anything that you might not want to share. The idea behind it is that you run it in a CI system or you run it against code that you might put on GitHub or share in a project um, to make sure that you're not revealing anything you shouldn't. But you think that wasn't too exciting It's actually an open source version of a product that's created by a company called Praetorian that I've not heard of. They have a commercial security product that includes some of this functionality. But it's totally open source. It's like Apache 2 licensing. But it's fascinating and amazing and scary. So I kind of downloaded it because it sounded interesting. I wanted to test a few of my repos to make sure I wasn't revealing anything. Apart from the prosaic scanning for files and directories like grep would do it searches git history so if you download a git repo it can be anybody's public git repo and run nosy parker in the git repo it will scan every single commit it will scan every single file and every single branch that's gone through that and it's really quick It's got like over a 100 rules for different kinds of API keys and passwords. And these are, I think they're using Rust's regex. So they're easy to add as well. But I was horrified. I just picked, I can't, I shouldn't say, I can't say which repo it is. I just picked a random repo. It was a well-established project that had been around for a long time. Would
2: any of us be using it?
3: Oh, probably, yeah. Shit. And honestly, AWS API keys passwords from people, Twitter passwords. There was tons of stuff. And um, Nosy Parker creates a table adds all of this to a database so that you can easily scan it and probe it from different ways. And it's a security tool. It's not meant to be finding secrets in other people's stuff. It's meant to be safeguarding your own projects. It's very much geared to doing that. But it's horrifying and scary how much you find in other people's projects and how much information, secret information, must be out there. It's it's a fascinating, brilliant little tool that even if you're not really interested in secrets and private data, it's it's terribly revealing.
1: This is scary because I have in the past checked in keys where I didn't mean to and then deleted them and pushed a new commit and go, oh, there we go, problem solved. And I thought, will anybody bother to find that? Probably not. It'll be all right. (laughs) So I'm going to go download this and find all of those and get rid of them. This sounds like a really useful tool. There's
2: nothing worse. It's like, oh, great, I have to delete the entire repo and re-upload all the commits in the exact same Mm. order again.
3: Yeah. And and also, it's really good to run it against your own stuff and know that you're not sharing anything like that in any repos Mm. you're responsible for. Because you don't know. All those hidden files, you're never on top of everything that you do. Sometimes you're working in the wrong directory. (sighs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) I'm always doing stuff like this, especially with API keys. And, you know, when you're Working with code where you need to put the API key in a project folder and it's the same as where the code's built.
0: Wrong directory, more like the wrong bloody server that you're SSH'd into.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But it's brilliant. You can run it in Docker, but you can run it natively, locally and run it wherever you want in your CI system. It's a small, fast, efficient little tool.
0: All right, well, I've got nothing for you for discoveries, but I've got a Mastodon thread that I started and loads of people reply to it with their discoveries. And so I'll put a link to the thread so you can see everyone's uh, suggestions. One that jumped out at me was Optanium, And this is from Joel. And on the GitHub, it says, get Android app updates directly from the source. Obtainium allows you to install and update open source apps directly from their release pages and receive notifications when new releases are made available. This is for Android. So it combines FDroid with GitHub and GitLab and Signal, SourceForge, SourceHeart, APK Mirror. It's basically just like combining all the different places you can get open source software for Android, like F Droid on steroids by the sounds of it. I've not tried it, but this sounds pretty interesting to me.
3: Uh huh. It does sound great. It's a really good name as well. I really like it.
0: Yeah. him, you're not convinced then?
2: I don't know. I mean, I've just looked at it in like what the last 20 seconds that you've said it, but. It sounds like a really fast way to completely, (laughs) utterly shaft your
3: phone. (laughs) I know, you're thinking it's the equivalent of piping a bash script from GitHub. It
0: is effectively the, yes, the (laughs) mobile equivalent, quite correct. Yeah, but Android's built differently, isn't it? It's built to uh, Mm -hmm. sandbox stuff. Sure, sure it is. Yeah, well, with permissions and stuff. I'm happy for my source code to rest
2: on a server for a day, day and a half, whatever, and make sure that it doesn't blow up, but...
0: This is Arch for phones, isn't it? Like, really, like if we're talking about it, it is literally that. Well, except the OS doesn't change. It's just the applications. There's maybe the AUR for phones. I don't know. Maybe that's not a fair comparison. Steam? What? Why has it got Steam in there? Well, this is far too modern and new for you, isn't it, Ferdinand?
2: Well, I mean, what's the, what's the providence on all these things? Like, how, how well are they signed? Like, uh, is there reproducible builds here? Like, what's going on? <laughs> signed?
0: <laughs> mm. uh. Well, it seems like it's uh, just the modern way to do things, getting it direct from the source, like VLC, for example.
2: Don't even check it. Don't even check some. Don't even MD 5 that. We don't have time <laughs> for that. Just put it on your phone right now.
0: That'll be fine. Well, there's loads of other stuff in this thread, anyway. So uh, have a look through it; you're bound to find something.
2: There's definitely some really good replies on that. Some really cool stuff.
0: Yeah, I should have probably asked this a few days ago and checked all the stuff out rather than just asking it a few hours ago and not having time. So thank you, everyone. And uh, I suppose you can always add your own stuff to it as well for us to pill for later. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. One person, Cool Jimmy eighty four, said uh, "G Compris. Not sure if it fits the bill, but My now seven-year-old found this during the first UK lockdown. Oh, very good. That's the KDE educational software for kids that we've definitely talked about before. We have, because
2: Riddell went on and uh, was not impressed by my initial pronunciation of
0: the bastard. Yes, Jonathan Riddle wasn't. (laughs) Shh, I'm trying to wind him up. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com support for details. And remember that for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Okay, this episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. No worries if you're not a pro in the kitchen. HelloFresh's foolproof recipes arrive pre-proportioned and easy to prepare in just a few steps. HelloFresh does more than just delicious dinners. Not only can you take your pick from 40 weekly recipes, you can choose from over 100 items to round out your order, from snacks and easy lunches, to desserts and pantry necessities. Everything arrives in one box, and on a delivery day, you choose. The variety of different meals looks really impressive, and I'm sure even I could follow the simple, clear instructions, and I have very little experience in the kitchen. So support the show, and go to hellofresh.com slash late night Linux 16, and use the code late night Linux 16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com slash late night Linux 16, and code late night Linux 16. Let's do some feedback then. Thank you everyone who sent in your noob tips. I've got a whole dock full of them, so we'll be almost certainly doing a segment on that soon. I need to edit it together into something coherent. But uh, do keep them coming as well. Amichai said, if you want to get progress indication from rsync, use the dash P switch. No need to install anything. We talked about this a few episodes ago, I think. And uh, a few people actually said that. I think you can do dash dash progress or dash capital P. But it's not quite as good as key." from the looks of it but uh nevertheless i didn't know that it had it built in and obviously it did emil said regarding firefox cookie rejection joe was sure you talked about this before and it might be this new story from december 2022 and then he links to a ghacks.net story about it and yeah so it turns out that this has been in firefox for ages i can't remember exactly what the context of this was because i can't remember what i had for breakfast yesterday but uh We definitely talked about this recently. So uh, yeah, I knew I wasn't going mad. We had definitely talked about it before. Has anybody else noticed that Firefox has not remembered whether you're
2: using a dark theme or not? I've noticed this with the last 113 update, and I wonder if it's something to do with cookies being all blitzed out of it or not. I'm not sure. But things like YouTube, various other websites all just change from dark theme to non-dark theme anymore. Really weird. I've not noticed that at all.
0: It's no, me neither. been totally fine for me. Cool, just me then. Great. I love those type of bugs. <laughs> probably a KDE thing. I ah, yeah, should must probably be.
3: use Xfce instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It works on my KDE. <laughs> just me then, right? So.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe you should just delete all of your dot .files and just start again. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Those are relics at this point. <laughs> exactly, Volum. <laughs> Can't be deleting those. Yeah, back them up. It'll be
3: fine. I do use the Arc Dark theme with Firefox, though. Like, manually installed. Yeah, it's just weird because it previously
2: had
0: worked fine. Um, but since that update just stopped, oh well, just me then. Well, at some point I declared Firefox profile bankruptcy and just started again because I just I just hacked it too much. So I had to export all of the stuff that I needed and re-import it. Because I had that for ages. I was banging on about it. If a website didn't specify background color, it was just gray. And so it was really hard to read text and stuff. And I just got so sick of it in the end. And I think I'm going to need to do it again because spell check is just knackered. I don't know what I've done, but spell check just doesn't fucking work anymore. So, I, what I have to do when I'm, uh, if I remember, when I'm writing the show notes up is I have to write them in Google Docs to get the spell check and then copy paste them out of that back into the doc. You may have noticed a few spelling mistakes have crept in recently. That's because I'm terrible at spelling and rely totally on spell check and it just totally stopped working. So, I think I'm going to have to do the same shit again, and I really, really don't want to.
1: Well, I've got exactly the same problem with spellcheck, and I tried the snap. I downloaded the snap file, unpacked the binary, and ran the binary, and the spellcheck there worked. So I think that it is a build issue in Firefox coming from Mozilla themselves, and I cannot work out what's going on. Ah,
0: so you're saying if I use the snap, it might be all right?
1: Yeah, I don't want to use the Snap though, do no, I? No, nor <laughs> So, spelling mistakes it is. Just use the
2: KDE Neon PPA. I'm not adding a bloody PPA. Oh, it's fine. It's official.
0: It's Mozilla themselves. Come on. Be grand. I think I've even got the Snap installed anyway. So, I'm just going to go back to using that. Good tip, Will. Thank you. I'll uh, report back on that. Don wrote to us and said, You might enjoy experimenting with this Flatpak app for accessing ChatGPT. And it's called I'm I'm sure I'm butchering that. I think it's a French word, and it means chit-chat. And it's not actually ChatGPT, it's various other ChatGPT-like systems, and it requires an internet connection. And uh, the only reason I've put this in is to troll phone him. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to use it.
2: I I know you've surreptitiously tried to trick me on several occasions already this year, as have other people trying to get me to try stuff like a... Jeffrey from the show was trying to get me to crack an admin password by trying to fool the prompt in AI. I was
3: like, fuck off, you cheater. That's not happening. It's the first time I've seen that please don't theme label on GitHub. For this app, it points you to the open letter from independent app developers to the wider GNOME community to not theme their apps. Just as an aside.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Let's not wade into that
3: debate. I think think we should. (laughs) Well, I've never seen that in KDE.
0: (laughs) What's that? Can't even cope with the choice of (laughs) colours? Look, you've got Libert Waiter and you've even got Dark Mode. You've got literally two (laughs) options for theming.
2: That's too much. Take that away, quick. Everything should be just (laughs) grey.
0: William writes, how do companies like Unraid and Proxmox get away with charging money and running on top of a Linux and BSD base? Probably a simple and silly question. I run three Unraid servers with paid licenses. Loved the software, but was wondering.
3: Well, yeah, I don't know... In the case of uh, Unraid and Proxmox specifically, but usually in these cases, the source code is open and you're free to build it. And some people may even have built those packages, probably with any trademarks removed and references to the original product. But there's nothing that licenses allow people to do that.
0: There's nothing stopping you from selling open source software as long as you provide the source code to it. And open source software can be built on top of other open source software so take what red hat do with RHEL, red hat enterprise linux they take a bunch of open source software including the kernel and they effectively charge you to use it but the sources are available and then other projects like alma linux for example take that software strip out all of the branding like the artwork the name the trademarks that sort of stuff and produce a binary compatible bug for bug as they call it clone of it
2: but i do think it's good that you're supporting the project that you use because i mean i think that's a, a kind of a key thing if you don't want it to ever go away the more people that support it the better though i would say use kvm instead of proxmox and zfs instead of unraid but
3: fair enough Oh, that was helpful.
2: <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, don't use the thing that you like. Use these other things that
3: are better. Yeah.
2: I'm just saying, I mean, you can pay for support
0: all you want, but when your data disappears, you'll go, shit. Welcome to the Linux community, William, where everyone has got an opinion. Oh, you're so wrong. And opinions are like phalims. Everyone's got one. Hey. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late-night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Ferdinand, why don't you read Ben's email? So Ben says, I'm a retired
2: engineering tech and a Linux user. Most programming instructors use a Mac, while most students use Windows. Boo. Linux is a superior platform for learning programming due to its seamless integration with terminal and directories. However, Windows users must first learn how to use Git, Bash or WSL to achieve the same level of integration. The programming market is missing a huge opportunity by not promoting Linux to beginners. Windows is a great OS for many purposes, but it forces barriers and layers of extraction on programming students due to its proprietary nature.
0: More students should learn about Linux and how its superior way to learn computer languages. Now, Phelim, I have forced you to tell a lie there because Ben didn't write that. Ben wrote was a fucking essay. And I put it into chat GPT to summarize it. That doesn't fucking count, you (laughs) dirty, (laughs) dirty, underhanded (laughs) bastard, you. Oh, I've got you there. But that is the gist of what Ben wrote, definitely. Is it though? It is, it is. I did have to slightly edit it because it said, like, the writer or whatever. So I had to make it from Ben's point of view. So I'd, uh, I don't know. Graham, did you spot that it was ChatGPT?
3: No, I didn't, know. I didn't, honestly.
0: Uh, well, you're not quite a Blade Runner yet, then.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was missing bullet lists. Yeah,
0: yeah. So what do we think, anyway, about this, this idea that most people who teach programming use a Mac, most people who learn it use Windows, but they should all be using Linux?
2: Well, I think this is correct because no other operating system allows you into that system. This is kind of why I have my bee in my bonnet about immutable file systems and immutable OSs. The ability to get right into the bones of an operating system is amazing. The ability to cat a file and proc and see what is actually going on with processes, that's fantastic. You just cannot do that in Windows to the same extent. And the same, I'd say, is probably in a Mac. So for me, I think it's the only operating system that you can actually fully be in control of, unless it's Minix, which nobody uses. So just stop Andy Tenenbaum.
1: I'm not so sure. It depends what students we're talking about here. Are we talking about university students or school students? You know, where are we on the on the scale of learning? I think actually the important thing for people to learn to start with is good programming practice. And then I think in at later stages, they should move on to a more like lower level stuff like needing to know about proc for example i think that everybody should learn linux as a target operating system but i think you need to learn the fundamentals first and i would not want to scare people off by making them also simultaneously learn linux see i don't agree with that because my
2: son who is well was nine only a week ago but for about the past six
0: months has been using linux without a bother I thought you were going to say my son, who is or was brainwashed into Linux and (laughs) free software. No, no, that's not where I was going.
2: No, that goes without saying. He has no problem switching between an Android tablet, using a phone, and then flicking to his Linux machine. He has had zero problem. He didn't need a special interface. He didn't need GNOME telling him how to use his computer in the one way that is blessed by GNOME. He uses KDE and he has no problem with it and he messes around with stuff on it. No, not a bother. I really think we are underestimating
3: the ability for people to change and try stuff. Fair enough. I think we need to get your son on the podcast to ask him. Help me. I don't want to abuse this anymore. Your dad was saying <laughs>
0: Yeah. Blink twice if
3: you want to use a proper operating yeah. system. Yeah. Tap the microphone. I'm
2: sure you could buy him with credits.
3: Do you want an iPhone?
2: <laughs>
0: Have you heard of this thing called the Play Store, Liam?
2: I've been well brainwashing about iPhones. He knows they're evil, so it's all good. <laughs> Poor boy. <laughs>
0: I do think that, Will, you have a point there that you don't really want to bombard these people if they're used to Windows or a Mac. You don't want to throw the extra barrier of learning Linux on top of it if they're trying to learn Python, for example. They're going to have a better time if they already know Linux, trying to learn Python on Linux, I would say, or any other programming language, probably, except for like Swift and, you know, the uh, Apple-specific stuff. But yeah, I'm inclined to say that just let people use whatever platform they want because, you know, with Windows, you've got WSL. With Mac, you've got a terminal there that's almost as good. And ultimately, they can also SSH into a VM somewhere and learn Linux remotely. A VM or just a a Raspberry Pi or just an old NUC or an old laptop or something, I don't think that you have to force Linux on their primary computer
1: for them to learn how to do programming. The primary place where you're going to need to use Linux is going to be in back-end cloud computing. If you're writing UI apps, I don't think it really matters what operating system you use to write those apps. So if you're writing back-end apps anyway, or back-end servers anyway, you're going to hit Linux eventually. You, you know, you, you can't avoid it. It's, it's everywhere. So maybe that's the differentiation that I'm thinking of.
0: Right, well, we better get out of here then we'll be back next week when who knows what we'll be talking about but until then i've been joe
3: i've been phelan i've been graham and i've been will see you later